It's evening here in Malaysia. It's 9.30 here. Oh, sorry. Time difference has changed. Yeah. I think the energy today is quite mellow. It is mellow. Nalanda has woken up (laughs) from a nap. You've had a big day. You've had a big day. I woke up at five. Road trip to Orbiton. Did river dipping with Damien and his crew, which is a, a nice Orbiton community. The water... Yes, everybody. Freezing. I've never felt pain from cold before. <laughs> and it's like your extremities actually start hurting because of how yeah. the blood just rushes inwards towards your core. Yeah. And then it, it, it changes because it's like breathing exercises that you do before. Oh, yeah. Nonetheless, though, it's still like yeah. deeply, deeply shocking. <laughs> yeah. So like our friend Damien, he runs a like breathwork kind of group thing mm-hmm. at, in Warburton and they do this river dipping and it's proper cold water. What's the season now? This is autumn. So he does it through throughout into winter and he was just saying that it might be really unhealthy. So he wasn't sure. Mm. Met some guys just out of coincidence, met some guys at the river. These were guys who were like river dipping every day and he's like, Oh, how do you guys do it? And they're doing the Wim Hof, Wim Hof. breathing. Wim Hof, sorry. Yeah. Not hoof, like hoof, hoof. Wim <laughs> Hof breathing exercises. And he's like, ah, so that's how you guys do it. They warm themselves up with the breathing before they get into the water. Otherwise, there's no way. I've seen videos of Wim Hof because just because Damon has told me about this and then I checked okay. it out. This technique, Wim Hof breathing, like deep breathing. And apparently, it's really, really, really beneficial for you. He, mm. dude, this guy he has videos of himself like sitting in the ice, like ice proper, just ice water, or in like I don't know where he is, one of the poles maybe, mm. and like in just proper freezing conditions, but doing this technique. So Demo talks about that, and I'm very skeptical because I'm Southeast Asian mm. <laughs> and Chinese. We're all about the heat. In the body. I think it's all about the heat, actually. Today, it was all about the heat. In order to realize your heat, you must be in the cold. It's about chi. Essentially, this is all chi, chi work. Like, you know, the chi that's in yeah, your yeah, body? Yeah. So he's trying to get us to do the breathing so that, like, yeah. we, warm, we warm up. Obviously, the rational thing is that if you do breathe really fast 30 times, then, of course, you're going to get your heart rate up heart rate up means you're going to get start sweating so you're sweating from your core and then you go in the water then you can survive it but a real thing the real heat actually happened in the water because you're freezing your ass off and you're shivering you're shivering all over every pore of your body you're shivering and that creates a lot of kinetic energy and it's a lot of friction and after a while you get you realize you're hot in the water Because of how much tension and like stress the body is in under, and it's like constricting, all the muscles are constricting. You're not actually cramping up, but the the body all of a sudden adjusts. Um, I was adjusting. Like my mm. Henry's like my back's on fire, or was it Barnaby? My Bar- Barnaby's like my back is actually on fire right now, mm. and my extremities were like on fire because it feels like it's burning up. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like, I don't know. I think it's very much related to qi work because um, Damien does qigong. Yeah, that's probably the key to, to doing to, it. 
Chinese people, please come do it. <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't be attempted without the chi work. <laughs> Anyways, let's get started. Today's episode is about sila or morality mm-hmm. or the precepts, and I'm quite excited. We've been talking about doing an episode like this for a very long time. I think we always hear about sila in like so many talks. The five precepts. This is like the bread and butter, right? But like,、mm-hmm. I think in terms of actually having conversations with mates, dharma friends, about how to apply and practice, I think that's very important too. Because otherwise, you can just see it as a very theoretical like set of rules. So I'm excited for this.、Mm. Okay, what's your relationship with Sila? I started going to dharma school in Malaysia when I was a kid. I can't remember how old. Maybe like six or seven. And one of the first things we learned about, apart from like the Namotasa and all of that, was the five precepts. I have vivid memories of having thoughts about the five precepts. I remember asking one of my teachers, like, "What happens if you like accidentally kill a bug? Like, is that considered breaking like the first precept? Like stuff like that." So I, I feel like this practice has been a part of my life since I was a child. I don't think I really started practicing. It was always kind of like you're always conscious of it. You know, when you're taught like a set of principles, like you're kind of always conscious of it growing up. But then not until I started practicing for real that. I became more strict about it and really studied it.、Mm. I think when I first started practicing, it was super natural to me, and it just felt like in my mind, like it's so straightforward. Like there's no two ways about it. But、mm. then, as like over time, I think as I started developing some wrong view from just associating with the wrong crowds, like being in a bad organization, being too stringent with everything around the practice. Then I started developing a very stringent view around sila as well, and then everything became really difficult. Like things that used to be simple when it came to the precepts became very difficult and muddled.、Mm-hmm. But then I think in recent years I've been trying to come out of that, and、um, as my practice becomes more centered around metta and gentleness, like that changes how I approach sila as well. So、mm-hmm. yeah, for me it's evolving. Evolving. Also, like I've seen, I've seen that part of you because we've just been friends since I don't know two thousand seventeen, eighteen, two thousand somewhere around there. I feel like I, I've definitely felt that you were very black and white about Sila. Yeah, like you were asking a John H about like rules, like rules about your business. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's almost like the, the T's and C's stuff. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Terms and conditions of your business and whether it's like ethical to do this and ethical to do that. Why does it feel for me that it's hard to do this? It's not good、yeah. for me to do that. Yeah. And it's just like it's just the law, like yeah. And you were really analytical about those small details about whether it fits into the five precepts or not. And the giant's like, why does it feel bad? I I feel like I approached it from like a logic overthinking, and then he's like, well, how do you feel doing this?、Mm. Like sila should be about ease. It should make you feel more at ease.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think over time I've learned a lot from being around a giant. Obviously, he's a monk. Keeping two hundred twenty-seven rules, and like he's not stressed, he's not uptight about the rules, and I think、mm. that was something that was super helpful for me to see that. I'll just summarize my relationship with the sila. I come from like culture as well, so in Thailand, my teacher was telling me, even the the thought of killing is a bad karma already. So the five precepts goes pretty deep. It's just the act of killing. Okay, that's bad, but even the thought of killing is bad. I was just like, what about like if you think about it, just think about killing something. He's like, well, that's a bad karma already. There's karm, there's karmic weight. 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is deep shit. <laughs> I remember I was thinking about that. But then I, look, I didn't really have a great relationship. Like any, any relationship, it was just, it was so in the culture that you can't yeah, really, yeah, yeah. I didn't really see it as a practice at all. I wasn't old enough to analytically analyze anything. Yeah. Anyways, and then of course, as you grow older, um, you get different perspectives because you run into certain, certain situations where you're like, oh shit, actually, let's approach it from the Sila perspective. I've been doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong for a long time. Or like, can we be flexible? Why not? Why not be flexible? Sometimes life gives you a curveball. You kind of just have to do white lies sometime, you know? That sort of thing. Like, oh, how come, like, okay, I've been not drinking for all this time. But what about just on Christmas Day? Just a little bit. Why not? Like, somebody gives you a bit of a glass of wine. You're like, okay, I'm not going to turn that down. Or your, your friend's, like, insisting on this wine. And they're just giving you, like, hey, you know, this is the best wine. Just a sip. It's a sip. You know, just mm. take it. Sort of thing. So what kind of flexible boundaries do you have? How do you compromise? Or do you just not compromise? And then when I met you, I'm like, holy shit, she's not compromising. Not even a little bit. She's not budging. This is black and white. Maybe I should be like that. So there was a certain time period where I was like, maybe this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's showing me the way. This is the way. Like, how wow, does... the Malaysians. The Malaysians are freaking hardcore as. Because <laughs> this is seriously black and white. No wonder. Because it's just five rules. If you can't do five rules, who the hell are you? And then you meet monks like Ajahn Tan, for example, that really consolidate this. He's like, if you're not keeping the five precepts, you're not even a good human. Yeah, uh, he was yeah. roasting. Ajahn Tan was in Melbourne recently and he came to Mivamokram and he gave a teaching and the beginning part of the teaching and actually throughout, like he just, it's like a stand-up comedian. It's like you go back to the joke that you made in the beginning and you just keep making references back to it and like it hits mm, every time. Yeah, he's just like, just like these three ladies. Every like 10 minutes he comes back. Just like these three ladies. Yeah, because he asked them in the beginning. It's like, do you keep the five precepts? Do you? do? And then they were very honest. Well, you can't lie to a monk. She straight away said no. He's like, no? Yeah. Which one do you not do? And she's like, oh, it's the Sura Merayatma Chapamadadana. I can't because I've got to socialize. Oh, like drinking. I have to have a drink. Yeah. Oh, and this other lady was like, same, and they giggled to each other. <laughs> <laughs> because, Ajahn, like, I come to Australia, I have to learn how to do this socializing. And she's like, you got to learn it? Like, you got to train yourself? You know, some people can't drink, so you got to, like, train yourself into the habit of drinking. <laughs> so that it's you're... so bizarre for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, you know, you know, the Buddha says that if you can't keep the five precepts, then you're not considered to be a good human being. Fully roasting. There's other things as well he said. Yeah. Because he was coming back. Yeah. But in a real meta way, he was very skillful about it. And almost in like a jokey, like, hey, come on, nudge, nudge. Like, Mm. let's get onto this because it's important. And he knows, he knows exactly. Yeah, this is like fatherly love. Every time I see him, he's, he's... saying this but it's from a very nice place yeah in fact i've heard ajahn tan talk about this even when barnaby gerald everyone was in thailand gerald was like he wanted to give amulets to people who were keeping the five precepts so he's like does everybody keep the five precepts and two people put their hands up no ah what is it which one is it it's always the sura merayama chapamantana it's always the alcohol so he went full on two hours of just talking about the five precepts so I've always known that Ajahn Tan, like five precepts, is really important to yeah. him. That's the foundation. He's like, you want to build a house? 
That yeah. is the foundation. The foundation is super important. You yeah. got to get this right. But also at the same time, when you ask him about like killing, for example, kill pests or whatever, that guy was asking about pests in Vimokran, remember? Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, well, it's based on intention, actually, the work that you put into Sila. A lot of it is about intention. Yeah. What is your intention in doing this? Is it your intention to harm? This whole thing is based on intention. Ajante, like his translation was that was intention. Um, how you approached it. Well, technically, there is a blind spot. There's a loophole. If your intention is not to kill, whatever intention it was, something can be killed without you, like, stomping on an ant or something, but something can be killed. For example, you got to take out the carpets in your apartment. Yeah, yeah. Something's going to be killed by the action of you ripping out the carpet. Yeah. I don't really see it as a loophole. Loophole sounds like you're using it to justify... An action. I yeah. feel like the way Ajahn Tan spoke. So, for example, there was a lady who, because he was talking about Sila so much, she started panicking a little bit and was like, Ajahn Tan, now that you're talking about this, I feel really anxious because my daughter, she's a doctor and she performs abortions. And yeah. my son, he's training to be a doctor. He has to do dissections of like frogs. What do we do? And then Ajahn Tan goes, like, you know, for students, I hope I'm quoting him correctly. For students, if it's a part of the course, like sometimes that might be difficult. But then as for your daughter, can she kind of direct herself away from that line of work? Because surely as a doctor, you have options. Yeah, he was saying he was saying that you can't not do it. It's part of the training of being a doctor is to kill even the insects and animals that you did as you, your, your training. Like, you got to dissect frogs and shit. I don't know if that's what he implied. Is that what he implied? I don't know. Sometimes yeah. it's high. But like, it, it just showed me. Because I was really looking for it. I love when we talk about Sila. Because I've had this black and white way of thinking about it. And as I hear people speak about Sila, the monks, like the arahants, it's like, oh, it's not this black and white thing. It's a training. Mm. And Ajahn Hasapanyo has said this before. Like, if your Dhamma practice is performative, it's going to be a lot of suffering. So... I think mm. Sila was so hard for me. It was such a, it was a big burden because I'm stressed, I'm anxious trying to keep these precepts. But I think it came from a very performative way. But it's like, if I take it as a training, then it's so doable and it's fine. I think even like um, the other day when we went to see Ajahn Tan, I was like stressing because it's like, what if he asked me if I keep the five precepts? Like if I want to get an mm. amulet. In my head, it's like keeping the precepts equals upholding the five of them perfectly all the time. But that's not what it means. Hmm. It is just having the mindfulness and dedication to committing to them. And that's very different taken as a training versus as a performance. And so I think when Ajahn Tan gave that answer, it was like, yes, he's not saying there's no leeway or like not, not leeway, but like you commit to it. But it doesn't mean... You know the hypotheticals of like, what if you're in a situation where you're going to die and you have to break a precept? It's like, it doesn't mean like you hold on to it as the end in itself. Mm-mm-mm. I'm still I'm still definitely exploring and learning how to practice sila in a more healthy way. Me yeah. too. No, me too. Because um, as somebody who was in their childhood pretty wishy-washy with their with sila, I feel like, for example, meeting Tayut, to you, my boyfriend, he's like weird, but he is able to wake up in the morning. It's just like, yeah, Sila's kind of 
my lifestyle. It's just I wasn't even questioning it. Like if if he wasn't Buddhist, he would probably just keep the sila. Like it's not mm. for him. It's lifestyle. Yeah. Like he just doesn't want to hurt anything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he'll see a spider. No need to hurt. Yeah. Just do stuff around it so that it survives and get it out of the way and move on with your life and for anything that you need to lie about like just tell the truth and in fact telling the truth in your way is probably the best outcome anyways yeah that's how he sees it it's very just clear yeah. there's not 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 even a black it's just white <laughs> black black yeah. doesn't exist it's just white yeah so that makes me want to practice like him because i feel like i've been wishy-washy yeah okay so these past seven years i've been much better with my sila yeah and then i talk to people like dara for example where she's like okay if there's a mistake in the sila conduct i'm gonna be really gentle with myself i'm gonna be a bit flexible i just want to you know comfort comfort myself and just tell myself that i'm okay i'm doing well if there's a mistake that's okay and then we try again yeah um there's no bashing yourself no against the wall because yeah because it's, it's just... not a sin no that's right it's very different i think i used to follow mm. like a real like oh commandment kind of approach with sila mm. but that's so not what it is because i think sin or whatever implies guilt implies shame but sila is about elevating your mind Mm-mm-mm. it's like elevating you from just following all your impulses to like this harmless blameless being and that's so like worth rejoicing in and it's a training like imagine if you guilted yourself every time you made a mistake like you're just not this whole practice is about making mistakes and seeing the mistakes and then like learning from that so i think that's Mm. the whole attitude about sila right so if somebody asks you do you keep the five precepts and yesterday you just accidentally you you may have needed to go against the five precepts do you say you keep the five precepts (laughs) because because you're actively trying to keep the five precepts there is a some commitment involved you've just lied basically yesterday Mm. oh damn you know so i forget who i heard this from but the actual wording of the precepts like like that ending part like is like Mm. i undertake this practice of observing this precept mm. or something like that so it's like i'm not like i will not kill it's not like thou shall not kill mm. it's i undertake this training so it doesn't mean you're never gonna kill it means that you mm. commit to this training and yeah. in training is like with anything like like training to like training boxing or training like tennis like you're gonna you're gonna miss and that's why you know when you said leeway mm. that was my word for loophole mm. Because I feel like you got to rise up to the occasion when there is, for example, a situation that calls for your attention. And if there's a situation, for example, that you, you may want to go soft on the sila mm. and just drink. But it's in those situations where you step up and you say, no. Mm. Yeah. That's how you're trained. That's how yeah, you're training yeah, because yeah. You're, you're doing the decision making, the yeah. choices right there. Yeah. And it's in those moments. It's not, maybe it's not everyday moments. It's just... Yeah particular event you're gonna say no yeah so you gotta rise up to the occasion and it takes that those sort of moments to know that i you are keeping this yeah and sometimes you like quote unquote lose or like you can't in that moment and that's fine like because it's a training i think the important thing is always having the intention to try Mm. 
to keep the precept. Yeah, yeah. Rising up to the occasion and just considering, yeah, this is important to keep the sila in this. And how do I word it? How do I get around it? How do I make sure that I make sure I keep my sila in this particular scenario? Yeah. And if I can't, I can't. That's fine. And I'm not going to blame myself for it. Yeah. I think, like, hearing what you're saying about Tayyut, it, it sounds like it's so natural to him. And I think with, with every, everything in the practice, it's like, it starts as a training. It starts as something you take on and it's not necessarily natural to you or easy. But then over time, like, it can be internalized. Like, dude, that guy has probably kept Sila for like 500 lives. And probably, probably kept it well. Yeah. And that's why in this life, it's like his nature. Mm. And so I think that's the point in building up those qualities of the mind. Everything has to start from, from the beginning. There's not even like a question of not not keeping the five precepts. It was just this is kind of what normal people do. For yeah. him, it's like this is what normal yeah, people do. Yeah. And you're right. Probably came from like some past life shit because it's very deep for him. It's it's like breathing air. It's like very normal. Yeah. You know, it's like Avatar stuff, <laughs> <laughs> mm, which is kind of jealous about. But I'm around him, so it's like good. I'm learning. It's good. It's good. Mm. He can be like literally your role model. Yes, and he's very gentle. He's not like, oh my god, you're killing. Oh my god, go go wash your sins or something. Yeah. yeah. No. So. No, Ajahn, Ajahn has said before, I think Lompo Liam said this, that keeping sila is basically the same as practicing the Brahma Viharas. Mm-hmm. Metta, compassion, like loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. And he, he just said that, but my understanding is if you're practicing sila correctly with the right intentions, right view, it's the same as having the Brahma Viharas because you you need all those qualities. So Actually, you're right. Yes, now that I think about it. Yep. The stringent way of practicing sila as just rules is not going to allow those qualities to arise mm. because you're not really doing it with understanding, with the right view yep. from your heart. And so... And more and more, right? Like, And this is why it's a theme in my practice now, like realizing the value of the qualities like metta and stuff. It's very powerful because naturally, like Dara has said this to me before, like when she had a period of time where she was focusing a lot on metta and she was feeling a lot of metta and naturally her sila was very good. Improved. Ah, okay. So it's just, it's like the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like you need metta. I feel like you need karuna. I feel like you need... Ubeka mm. is definitely there. Certain situations where you just have to let go of the outcome. Mm. Yeah. Just yeah, be one with the conditions and and the situation just unfolds like naturally you just are gonna have to accept what, what the conditions are. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. I kinda wanna share stories of when I've had like struggles with precepts or moments where it's been hard practicing. I think those are the most crucial benefits. I had one. Yes, I had one. do tell. In Thailand, I had one that was like immediately on the table straight away and I had Dhamma friends all around me. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, okay, I'll just tell the story and we can cut it out if it's inappropriate, whatever. So it was valentine's day but unfortunately i just woke up and didn't realize it was valentine's day 14th right and i was going i was adamant to go to this um outdoors aerobics class (laughs) 
yeah. with with this guy who I've developed a friendship with over the past two, three months. Excellent guy. And he's going to like pick me up, drop me off. He's been picking me, picking me up and dropping me off at various activities around because he has a his own business. So he can do that. And I think it's been sort of under the radar and noticed by Toyota a little bit. Like, oh, he's picking you up, dropping you off at various places. Okay. Excellent guy. He has his own girlfriend. I have my own boyfriend. All good. And he's a dumber friend. Like, he wouldn't do anything. So I'm like, dude, Toyota, he wouldn't do anything. Okay, great. Except I, I that day I woke up and it's Valentine's Day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we got to go. But do you want to have a meal first? Oh, yeah, of course. We have to, like, feel ourselves. Let's go. Let's eat. We're at the restaurant and then I look around and I'm like, oh, there's couples everywhere. What's happening? And then I realized, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I actually have actively not, I've been a little bit guilty and I felt like I haven't really actively used my phone to tell, to like tell to you that I'm actually eating right now. I've been ignoring my phone because I feel a little bit guilty Mm. subconsciously just haven't really Mm. engaged with him because I realized this looks a bit weird. Yeah. (laughs) And then I tapped my friend's hand. I'm like, happy Valentine's day. (laughs) He's like, he's like, Oh shit. You're right. (laughs) Both of you. Yeah. Looked at me and I looked at him like, Whoa. Like I'd ask him, would you need to tell your girlfriend? And he's like, nah, nah, my girlfriend understands he trusts, she trusts me and I trust her. And he's like, would you need to tell your boyfriend about this? And I'm like, I don't, but I haven't. And I feel like he might, he might be a bit jealous because you've been picking me up, dropping me off a little bit, Mm. so a bit often. Mm. And he's like, oh shit, do you feel really uncomfortable? What do we do? So I was like, I don't know if I should lie about it or like, he's actually like, calling and stuff mm. should i pick it up mm. should i tell him where i am and then just pan the camera towards you like i don't want to like stir up shit no you shouldn't no. i hope you didn't do that no <laughs> so he's like no 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 this goes beyond sila this is sila versus intention right now so your intention is not to harm him your intention is not to cause anxiety towards him what we're going to do is we're going to like revise this whole day do you still want to go and do aerobics with me and i'm like yeah i don't want i don't want to your jealousy issues to be affecting my day because mm. technically this is not control i don't want him to be like actively controlling my life is a relationship that should be not like that so he's like but just to be clear you can do aerobics any day it doesn't have to be there today. You can go by yourself in another day. Mm. I don't have a car at that point. So I'm like, I'm already here. I just want to do it now. Like, why Why am I being restricted by some... By, by okay, my, my boyfriend. Love him very much. But don't do that. Like, I have independence as well. Mm. So he's like, okay, cool. I get you. Let's talk about intentions. Our intention right now is to protect his feelings as well. He might misunderstand. So what I'm going to, if it's particularly if I don't know your boyfriend and your boyfriend is like very of the jealous type, how about we stop the meal, call it quits for the meal, and then we go our separate ways. I'll get you a taxi. I'll drive myself there. We go our separate ways. I was about to just hop into his car and go. That was the whole plan. He was going to drop me off at the do this aerobics together. So he's like, all right, so this is the plan. We're not doing any kind of white lie. 
we're just gonna go our separate ways you will go to your aerobics i will also go to my aerobics and we'll just meet up there so technically we've just created better conditions so that you don't have to do anything to break the sealer Mm. and the intention from that is because you love your boyfriend it's just like he was just like i know i can i was that kind of guy before and i feel like he's just trying to protect you he's just worried about you that there's this guy new guy coming into your life who might be sus so eventually i i told you yeah i'm at the aerobics place i'm at up the aerobics place with this friend who's been picking me up doing lots of things with and he's like did you guys go together so the answer to that would be no even though the plan was to go together we've actively decided not to i'll take a taxi he drives his own car Mm. Mm. so that was like a conscious decision it was a choice i think that was very skillful and it was all his doing because i was just just like stressing my head out like he's like no calm down we're gonna do it very skillful yeah super skillful this guy's like yeah. No, no breaking of the precept and very intentional, very compassionate. Mm-hmm. I think if it were me, I would have just been like, <laughs> like, just, just like, and I was stressing out. Immediately remove myself from the table, pick up the call, be like, oh my god, babe, I'm so sorry. Like, I just realized it's Valentine's Day and I'm here with this dude and I know you have a problem. Like, I would be like that. But uh, that's me. But I feel I'm like I was scared to pick up the call because I'm like, oh my god, we haven't got a plan <laughs> strategized. Oh yeah, my god, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. going on? I'm put in this position immediately. Yeah, mm. I think there's just different ways when you prioritize keeping the sealer, and then there's different ways to deal with it, and it's all fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what happens when you're in a relationship. Yeah. So I did pick up this call later. I was like, yeah, I'm at the mall, just had a meal, gonna go to this aerobics place. See you soon. A-okay. It's very, that's A-okay. right speech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't to... tune into this episode. I hope so. Does he, he listen doesn't. to the podcast? He hasn't listened. So I'm like, okay, this might be a yeah, safe this space. This is not the one to be listening to. Or maybe he loves Sila so much because it's so him that he might click into it. He's like, oh, this is the latest one. Click. Yeah. <laughs> Finds so, out all of these things. Just... <laughs> No, I think I think he'll be very forgiving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's so much love. I mean, if he's listening, mm. there's just so yeah. much hello. love. Hello to you. Yeah, hello to you. And like, you know, like how much effort there was to make sure everything was okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. I love stories like that. Yeah, yeah. you go. Yeah. What was your struggle? I have a few. I think this is why I felt guilty when Ajahn Dan was here, and I was like. Can I even say that I'm keeping the five precepts? It just brings the mindfulness to maybe where recently you've been a bit dodgy with the precepts. And that's a good thing because it points things out. So one of the things is I tutor English and I tutor using textbooks. I purchase these textbooks and I take screenshots of this like dodgy PDF version of it online. And then I put it on a PowerPoint and then I teach it to my students. In the past, I've gotten my students to buy the textbook as well. So then for me, it's like, oh yeah, no big deal. It's as if like I'm with them, but it's just all of this is online. It's like I'm with them and I'm showing them the textbook and we both have textbooks. So it's like we've not stolen anything. But then recently with like these new students that I have, in the beginning, I I didn't want them to get textbooks at first because I wanted to try out like to test sort of like their English aptitude with some of the material to see which textbooks they should get. 
And then I think I just forgot about that. And so for a few weeks, we're just on this routine of like, I'm just using this material and they still don't have textbooks. I even went to the extent of like sending them copies of pages to print out. That's blatant, like taking things not given um, mm. because they're not paying for it. And then I think I had consciousness of this. I think recently because I, I was like, oh, they should totally get textbooks now because I feel like it would be more beneficial for them. But then I think as soon as I realized that and then also Ajahn Tan coming, I was like, oh my God, this doesn't feel right that they mm. haven't been using textbooks. And then also like, technically I'm not allowed to put this stuff on PowerPoints because the terms and conditions in the textbooks are always like, don't reproduce this, blah, 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 blah. So like you're going against the word of the publishers. So I was feeling very agitated about this. So what, so what I've done is, yes, the students have ordered the textbook and I went and bought like the actual ebook version of the textbook and I'm using that instead of putting stuff in PowerPoints now. So that feels so much better to me and my mind is like at ease now. But I think at that point I was like, oh, I don't know. I just created my own rule around, mm-hmm. oh, this is not technically taking things not given because I paid for this. They're going to pay for yeah. this. So so it's like, I don't know. But I think when I look at just the feeling and not the technicalities, it's like, mm, this feels a bit dodgy. And that mm. makes me want to like cover my bases. Yes. And like, okay, yeah. this feels right. And I, I think more and more you realize like as you practice this, sila is a feeling thing. It's an is, intuition it is. thing. It is. It's a, a very good point, yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the stories. Another instance. Oh, this is an interesting and this goes back to the sushi thing. So I love this restaurant, this Japanese restaurant in Malaysia. It's like my favorite place, very authentic Japanese. And I know I've always had this problem in the past where I'm like, oh, I don't know if sushi is like not okay for the fifth precept, the alcohol one. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. Japanese people put mirin, like this rice wine kind of thing in their cooking. And Mm -hmm. usually they cook it off. And with the monk's rules, like I, I refer to the Vinaya, like the monk's rule says that it's okay if it's cooked in broth, alcohol is cooked in broth or in meat or in like a sauce or something. But the Japanese people sometimes put it just straight up in their rice so it's not cooked off. Like for sushi rice. Mm, Very specific. Yeah, very specific. So when, sometimes when you go to like a fancy restaurant, Mm. like they might do that. If you go to like a cheap, like in Australia, you have tower sushi. I reckon they don't put mirin. It's just too expensive. For sure. But if you go to like an expensive place, I reckon they do that. And there's also just hidden alcohol and everything in Japanese food. And it's like, Mm. if you don't ask, you don't know. So that's been like my loophole. It's like, oh yeah, I don't don't know. But then I think I had a phase before when I was super strict about the sila where I would ask and I would be Mm. like one of those crazy, like, can't eat anything on the menu. Karen lady. Just being difficult for anyone I go out with. And it's like, Mm. oh, I can't eat all the rice in this restaurant because it's got me in it. So I can't eat any, like, like that. It does feel kind of like you're being pretty picky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I haven't really worked out a solution for that. So this was one of the questions I asked Ajahn. It's like, Ajahn, sometimes there's like alcohol and miso. Like it says on the packaging. It could just be from like the processing, industrial Mm -hmm. processing. And he's like, we take miso. And the monks, like the rule they follow is if you can taste it, then it's considered the precept is broken. Right. Even if you didn't know, even if there was no intention. Mm-hmm. So if you can't taste it. So if you can't taste it, usually it's fine. 
I think unless you know that there is alcohol in it. And usually Ajahn, when he, people are offering him stuff like, you know, some chocolate with liquor in it, or like it might have liquor in it. Because there's just so many rules around food, like he will ask. But obviously in that context, he is in a position to ask. So I don't know, the middle way between going to every single Japanese restaurant and asking, asking about everything, like, hey, what do you put alcohol in versus not asking? Like, I don't, I still haven't worked out the middle yeah. way thing imagine maybe also just the fact that okay so you're going to be asking let's say it takes extra effort for the restaurant owners to be like they're already super busy so you're encroaching upon their time encroaching upon their effort there's a hindrance involved for and it others. becomes suffering you're actually attached to the sila Correct, yes. correct, correct. So there's an attachment. But also other people are suffering yeah. in order to serve you food that it needs to be this particular thing. So maybe just let that go for a sec. I don't know. Like, I mean, with the Japanese restaurants one, it's like, it's in the rice. They probably yeah. handle all rice yeah. from like a big bucket of rice where it's all mixed together already. So it's like, I don't know. I haven't worked anything out with that one. But I, and, I, and what is your intention behind that? For example, yeah, your intention is to keep the sila. Dude, for me, there's greed. Like, when I go to this particular restaurant, I've had occasions where I'm like, no, this feels funny. This dish. Really? Yeah, like, and I'm not sure sometimes which ingredient it is. It could be ginger. It could be, like, wasabi. It, it could be mirin. Mm. And I feel like when you've been so off alcohol, like, you're very sensitive. Like, mm, even if it's buds. a little bit. No, not not the taste buds. It's the, the effect on your body. Oh, okay. Even when it's, like, a tiny little bit. And so... Sometimes I'm like, oh, this feels a bit funny. But then it's like, for me, that's greed because I love this particular dish. It's like this sushi. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like there is, in that situation, it would be like asking. I should be like asking about that particular dish. Or if I know like particular dishes do give me that effect, that would be the the sila thing to do. Mm, But for me, I view it as like suffering for the other people to have to serve that to you. And what is the intention? The intention is if it takes too long, if it just takes too many people, and if it takes too much for the others to be serving this food to you, then don't make others suffer so that you yeah not. So then I think the solution would be to not order that dish. Correct. Yeah. Just go around it. Unless like a monk, for example, and you've been offered it, can't really go around that. Or you just don't know and you just eat it. You take a bite and you're like, oh! <gasps> I think this has alcohol, but I kind of ordered it, so I'm going to have to eat all of it. Well, with the monks, what they do is, if they know they have alcohol, like, I think Ajahn has said before, that he spits it out, and then he just okay. doesn't, like, remove it. But we're not, we're not monks, so we can just eat it. Just eat I think, it. for me, it would be asking, checking, if there's alcohol. Mm, checking first. Never ordering this again. If there's no alcohol, cool, all good. It was all in my head. Mm. I think just being like that, and just being really honest even in the practice of sila yeah being honest yeah like you know no loopholes no leeway yeah but also compassion for you compassion for others and seeing the big bigger picture maybe i think going back always to what is this preset for exactly the bigger picture with alcohol it's it borderlines on harmful i mean it becomes harmful when you're intoxicated i've spoken to ajan about alcohol before because i I helped a friend ask a question this friend didn't really understand the harm in breaking the, the fifth precept. Because it's like, what if it's just like one cup, like a sip? It doesn't do you harm. Like, what's the big deal? 
So he mm. said something like we don't have enough mindfulness to even notice the effect that it has on us, but it does. Mm. Like any mm, okay. amount, like like with the in the monks' rules, it's like one drop is enough for the precept to be broken. Mm. So I believe that. <laughs> like I believe yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we don't have control of our bodies sometimes. Yeah. Um, I I believe that too. And there are also friends in the wishy-washy sila world <laughs> that I associate with. Sometimes they're like, oh, but isn't the sila there because it's protecting you from not getting drunk? So if I know my limit alcohol intake is two cups, two shots, and that's it, it's it's not about limiting your life. Sila shouldn't be limiting your life and how you experience your life, especially if you know and you're consciously aware of how much alcohol you can take. My intention is great. I'm not here to get drunk as. I'm here to just socialize. Have two cups, be on my way. I'm still clear in the head, done. And it's like that. It's like I'm talking to that kind of person. Okay. And I'm like, I don't really know how to yeah, argue with that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even if we're not intoxicated, we're already unmindful. So it's like, why would you actively consume something that makes you potentially uh, extra. more unmindful? Like if... And then also, like, I trust the Buddha. If he mm. says it's this five, mm. it's this five. There's no, like, my interpretation. It's like, find out the Buddha's interpretation. Yes, yes. Oh, that's great. When they ask me that, I'm just like, yeah, I'm embarrassed, like, for the Buddha. And they're like, huh? As in, I don't have any other way to, like, counter that point. So I just say, like, I feel really embarrassed to be breaking the, the the precept because I feel like the Buddha is what maybe maybe not watching over my shoulder but I'm like aren't you like okay because you're learning Thai I can teach you this I tobab or like lai tobab means like you feel slightly ashamed and so there is that cultural element of being like I, f- I do feel you know slightly ashamed that I'm just going about my way creating conditions for myself so that I can do break the sila yeah. and creating new rules new bridges yeah. so that's for me is like the shame that's involved in not breaking the sila but creating the conditions so that I can break the sila hmm. that's getting a little bit complicated I don't know so yeah dude it's like been practicing this for years it's an ongoing thing it's like you just yeah. refine refine or you yes. go a bit backwards you try to find what's the middle I thought yes. before, like, oh, yeah, my seal is good because I'm just, like, being perfect about it. But I was actually suffering hard, like, being mm-hmm. difficult and giving myself a hard time. So much guilt anytime I broke a precept. Now it's like, okay, let's be a bit more human. Let's look at the yeah. intention. It's meant yeah. to teach you something. Let's yeah. make it about that. So it's like, okay, kind of sway to the other side a little bit sometimes. Let's Let's try to work out the middle. And I think I feel okay with that. I have a question for you as well. Yeah. Because um, we were just talking about this with Tayun. Isn't one of the sealers like, okay, not to lie, right? Yeah. Wait, right? Yeah. No. Not to lie, not to speak ill. And Tayun's like, part of that is not just lying. It's not to speak ill, including rude words. Like swearing? Yeah. So he's like, no, you're not supposed to say, you know, rude words. <laughs> so, okay. The precept is to not lie Hmm. but we always extend that if you're going deeper to right speech Mm. which is harsh speech slander frivolous speech Mm. Mm. um what's the other one oh yeah i think just false speech yeah so maybe it falls under frivolous but 
it's about intention. Mm. I don't know. For me, it's not a big deal. I know it's not. It's not good. It's not refined, but mm. it's more like you know. You get um, Ajahn King is very vulgar with his tie. Apparently, mm. it's about mm. it's about intention. Because yeah. which which one is it? I don't think it's harsh. Like you can be like, I f- love you. That's not frivolous harsh. speech. No, yeah, frivolous right. is like when there's no point and you're kind of just yeah. rambling. Like it's about more something. like gossip, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, I think it's just his um his interpretation of that was just like no, you can't you can't say rude words. But I've ended up just changing his way his 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 behavior. So now we just use a little bit more rude words than than usual. Things like shit, he won't say. I think it's a good habit. I don't think it is it's a good habit. The Buddha's I don't like, think don't yeah. swear. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, to you, it's actually part of the English language, and the English <laughs> language includes these words. Sometimes you need to use these words to express a certain expression. For example, I love you. It does. It just feels right to be using that instead of mm. I love you so much. Mm. You know, yeah, it's different. So it's a yeah. flavor of the language, anyways. Yeah, no, Sila's an ongoing thing for sure, and. Yeah, I, I don't know. The last point we have is like the benefits that you've experienced. Go. I've realized Sila has really like changed me, man. Like this practice alone, when I think of Sila, it just gives me a lot of joy in my heart. Like knowing that I've done my best, mm-hmm. like I've been very vigilant and been very intentional about not causing harm and not doing mm-hmm. anything that can be blamed, at least with mm-hmm. regard to the five precepts. And that gives me so much like freedom in my mind and ease and it also i realized like helped me build a healthier sense of self-esteem and self-worth because it's like really? i know myself mm. like i know that there's integrity there is integrity and i know yep. that to the extent of the five precepts i've committed to this as my benchmark yeah and this is what i live by and it shows in my life and i think i don't know me and Dao were speaking about this it's like I feel like we're safe people mm. and that's because of Sila. Like people mm. know that, that when they're with us, that we are safe. And I think that's because we practice this and we internalize this and it comes through in our actions and speech and stuff. And Correct. so like, I don't know, Sila has just changed me. It's a very deep thing. No, I agree. I think Sila creates quality people. It's not just people. It's quality people and you would certainly want to hang around them the five precepts like you know like with Tayyut it's just in mind you keep it in mind and it's almost like every action that you do it's guarded by the five precepts so it's almost Mm -hmm. like a filter right like only the pure stuff comes through because you have the five precepts there as your filter correct then just the way that you live is wholesome Mm. Ajahn Kalyano once said in a talk like he was talking about the five precepts and he's like a lot of people, they're like, Ajahn, give us the higher Dhamma. He's like, mm-hmm. this is the higher Dhamma. The five precepts are the higher Dhamma. Mm. Yeah, don't look down on the basics. Like, this is, it runs straight through. It runs all the way through. It's a stream. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like as you practice, there's layers to this practice, right? Initially, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. like, let me keep the precept, the word and the letter. And then it's like, you go on, it's like, hey, there's stuff about intention, 
and it's about yeah. then you're working with like karma right yeah. and it's like mind and it's like okay so you realize that to refine this i need to work on mindfulness i need to work on right view i need to work on this it's the it's the path yeah exactly it is the foundation it is very important yeah I, I feel like it runs all the way through to the top like you've got to have this it's like onion peeling as well so you reveal yeah. lots of different layers involved in it yeah i'm pretty proud of my conduct around the five precepts i can confidently just go up to a jantan and be like i have it i have the five mm. precepts and he's like hey like, <laughs> yeah because you wanted mm. the amulet you just yeah and i wasn't sure if he needed to like quality control yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> ask people around first he yeah. didn't actually ask i day. didn't ask and he just gave one to me and i was like oh my god yeah, maybe he's just new in the room. This is the crowd that you don't have to ask. Yeah. What about you? What are the benefits that you've experienced? It's made me realize that there are certain crowds of a certain type that I'm around and I'm gentle with them, but they're not keeping the five precepts. Mm. It's not actually my business to go and control and preach them or like tell them what to do. But I'm very grateful just being around these wishy-washy sealer people i'm also very grateful immediately that i have another group of friends who have decided to dedicate the action towards keeping the sealer it's very subtle but there is a difference between these two types of friends i don't want to like stereotype but it seems like the quality of the people are a little bit different yeah and the amount of time and effort that they've spent in the sealer makes me realize that they're very committed to the dhamma and they know their worth, they know their path, and they're like you said, they're safe. These are really safe people that I can just Yeah, it's very strange. It's like mm. it's like they're devas. They're just like walking on earth. It's a nice pure energy that I'm with. It's a it's so subtle. The people who show show up in your life of a certain quality, you can tell. You can tell. I think it's the beginning of letting go of ego right mm. like the sila is a container because if you just didn't have the five precepts then what is your benchmark for doing things it's just your preferences it's just your likes and dislikes like or i don't know if you have some other moral like set of principles but the five precepts make it very clear and a lot of the time it's putting down your personal feelings mm. even in the first precept it's all about aversion mm. and it's like in order to keep this precept I need to let go of this act of aversion, of killing, of wanting to get rid of something. Mm -hmm. And then as you do that more and more, it cultivates natural like compassion for living beings. Yeah. yeah. And then as you practice that more and more and more, and it's more refined, it's like you're actually getting an aversion in your mind. It's all about letting go of self, I feel. And mm -hmm. of course, people who do that, I think are people you want to be around yeah and for for what it's worth it's beneficial to the our goals if we want to practice the dhamma to get enlightened or even just stream entry we would like to be around people who are also of the same cause who are also dedicating themselves to stream entry or dedicating themselves to a higher level of dhamma yeah. and if they're practicing that throughout their body is like they're pouring out everything into into this cup that they're like we were trying and yeah. you can see them trying and i want to try i want to be that and it's really yeah. inspirational yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah it's been beneficial for me to see different circles of people i don't want to be prejudiced and start judging others as well mm. but unfortunately there's a subtle difference there's some rougher characters and there's some of these characters that are like 
super amazing, super wholesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a human observation. Purity, like it's just it's just like a gem in the world. (laughs) And there's been a lot of talk lately because I'm in Malaysia. There's like monks coming through, and recently Ajahn Suripanyo. And I don't know. I keep hearing this phrase recently again, and it's been said so much. Going against the stream, and Mm. I think. It was one of those phrases that has just been thrown around so much that it started not meaning anything for me anymore until recently hearing it again. It's like, yeah, this practice is all about going against the stream. And it's not easy. It's like going against the stream in every which way, in your mind and in society. And there's value in that. And recently, Ajahn Sri Panya said, like, the people who truly get and truly practice Dhamma, like, they're always going to be a minority. Sorry, that's not mm. even really relevant, but like... No, it is. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it is. Because um, you need right speech in order to be this minority. Yeah. <laughs> You're controlled. Like, like a lot of the time, you're just around the majority who are telling you, Yeah. Ah, come on, you know, drink a little. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you say to that, you know? And they have to judge this particular character, got to choose the right words, right speech, right intention. Right, it's, a, it's a higher dhamma. It really it is. is. Yeah. It's not just some, like basic baby step stuff yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i just wanted to leave on this um example i've heard it before from ajan like imagine if the whole world kept the five precepts Mm. imagine if all the people in melbourne kept the five precepts like just as a thought experiment right like what kind of world would that be you wouldn't need locks on your doors you wouldn't need the police you wouldn't need like the military you wouldn't need all these things right and Mm. there would just be safety because you, you feel like you can trust every single person around you to not be harmful. That's Deva realm. That's, that's... <laughs> I want to move into that neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, it's just a cool thought experiment. Of course, it's idealistic, obviously. Very idealistic, but then you just feel like this is the value that you're bringing when you're Correct. committing to this practice. Yeah, even if you're in the minority. Correct. Yeah. So I'm really proud of us, sis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I need to like interview to you. See Can what we actually? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's end this episode. Thank yeah. you guys. I hope that clears up a lot of things. That has cleared up a lot of things. So thank you, Kemma. So please share with us your thoughts, your experience with your sila practice, because it's hard. Hello, it's hard around here. Share it with us at youawake underscore podcast, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.